found on page 1082 of your church Bibles. That's John 14, 1 to 6, 1082. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we sit, let's pray. Eternal God, your Son, Jesus Christ, is for all mankind the way, the truth, and the life. Give us the grace to walk in his way, to rejoice in his truth, so that we may share his risen life. And we ask this for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. I still have very clear memories of um, family reunions with my mother's aged aunts. Um, And after they told me how much I'd grown in the previous uh, year, uh, asking me what I was going to do when I grow up. And uh, I was always stuck for an answer because I I knew what I definitely didn't didn't want to do. I knew I wasn't going to be a teacher or a vicar, which is actually what I spent the last 31 years doing. Um, but otherwise not very clear. But as a a schoolboy, if I did have any career aspirations at all, it would be either to be a lawyer, and the reason was because a friend of mine was a barrister, and he seemed to have a huge amount of summer holiday, take most of July and all of August off sailing his yacht. I thought I could handle a job like that if that's what the perks are. Um, And if I wasn't going to be a lawyer, I was going to be a professional tennis player. Uh, There wasn't actually a whole lot of evidence on the tennis court to support this fantasy, but that's never stopped me. And what could be better than being paid to do what you really love doing? You know, you think of all the, the, um, the adoring fans, you know, all those beautiful girls who want you to be their special friend. And uh, all that money, all those houses... You can see what a delusional teenager I was, can't you? And also how shallow and self-absorbed. But of course it was uh, all a dream and a fantasy. But it's actually not just a dream and a fantasy for me. It's for anyone. Because even the most beautiful people, even the most moneyed, even the most successful, find that life is not just glory and gold and girls without a care in the world. Everyone has cares and worries. I did a little bit of research into the fears that people have and came came up with a, a top eight list of fears. The fear of failure, the fear of rejection, loneliness, emptiness, the fear of the unknown, 
the fear of bereavement, dying, and death. I don't think any of those uh, are great surprises. It's also no great surprise to hear that some of the most successful people also share those fears. I was reading about Pete Sampras, who um, described the year leading up to his, his record sixth year as world number one tennis player. And he described it as the most utterly miserable year. He is terrified of not breaking the record. So he ended up not sleeping properly, not eating properly. He developed nervous tics. He said, I was utterly miserable. The fear of failure. Or there's the, the fear of not having a, uh, a relationship, a loved one. One supermodel turned actress said this, I had everything anyone could want. Houses, cars, money, fame, beautiful children. Yet I was totally and miserably unhappy. I lacked the one thing that we all want, a loving, ongoing relationship. And so we could go on. <clears throat> all sorts of examples. But perhaps the biggest fear of all is the fear of death. Both the fear of dying and bereavement, but particularly the uncertainty of what lies beyond the grave. Listen to this letter that someone wrote to an agony column recently. For the last eight months, I've been consumed with my mortality. I know death is inevitable, but I fear it. It's not so much death, but what happens after death. Is there nothing? an empty void with no self-awareness? Or is there truly some place of peace where I can be reunited with my loved ones? I often struggle to sleep at night. I'm so overwhelmed by thoughts of death. I wish I could go back to my normal self and enjoy my wonderful life. I wish I was a spiritual person, but my rational mind will not allow me to believe in blind faith. Can anyone help? A really heartbreaking letter. And what was even sadder was the advice that this person was giving. To sit quietly and listen to death. What on earth does that mean? Write poetry and try to get yourself published. Hope for the best. Embrace death as a friend. I'm not sure any of those would have helped the poor person who wrote that letter. I was longing for the agony aunt to say, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe someone did write in and suggest that, but I imagine that the editors would have just put a great big red cross through it. Now, we're working our way through some of Jesus' great claims in John's Gospel, where he helps his followers to see that he and he alone is the one who can give satisfaction when he says, I am the bread of life. Or he and he alone is the only one who can enlighten the spiritually blind when he says, I am the light of the world. And today, we're looking at this passage in John chapter 14, page 1082. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's the night before he was crucified. And he tells them not to worry. 
He tells them he's going to leave them. Now, you'd have thought if your leader for the last three years is going to leave you and be crucified, you'd have very good grounds for being worried. But Jesus goes on to tell them that he's preparing a place for them and he's going to return to fetch them and that he will take them home. Don't you love that simple description of heaven in the Bible? He he calls it here, my father's house, but it's really, the, the word for house is more like home, like where I belong. And Thomas, when Jesus tells them this, if you look at verse 5, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Don't you love Thomas? He's done us such a great favor, because if he hadn't asked that question, we might not have had verse 6. So Jesus comes out with one of the great verses in the Bible when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's such a great verse because he's saying here uh, that Jesus is offering purpose and direction in our emptiness. That Jesus is offering us certainty in our confusion. And he's offering us hope and the promise of heaven for that almost universal fear of death. So let's just look at these three bold claims in turn. First of all, when Jesus says, I am the way, he's offering purpose and direction to a bewildered and empty world. A friend of mine called Chris Uh, a successful businessman and landowner, once asked me, Tim, why on earth are you a vicar? I mean, after all, it's a job with no status, no prospects, and no salary, which, when put like that, makes you feel really great about yourself. But (laughs) my reply, uh, the best I could come up with on the spur of the moment, was that it's a job that gives me the most tremendous satisfaction. There's a great sense of purpose in following the Lord Jesus Christ and in serving him as best I can, and a great joy in helping other people to find him and to follow him too. And I said to Chris, give me job satisfaction over salary and status any day. Chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? So many people don't know Jesus Christ. So many people don't know where they're going. So many people have never actually read his teachings. It's amazing how many people have dismissed the Christian faith without ever reading a primary source document known as one of the Gospels. And so with Thomas, they say, how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. In other words, he's saying, follow me. Apparently, it's still the case that today, if you get lost in the Middle East and you ask someone the way, they will either point you to a map and say, that's the way you should go, or they'll say, I'm going there myself. I am the way. It's their way of saying, follow me, come with me. And that's what Jesus says to us in our bewilderment and emptiness when we feel like we're running through life, rather like exhausted hamsters on their never-ending wheel, 
going hard, but going nowhere. I am the way, he says. Follow me. And he says, I am the way. Now, again, in the original, he could just say, literally, I am way, truth, life. But quite deliberately, John's gospel says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes on as if, just in case we missed this sort of emphasis there, to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, many people, of course, would dismiss this as a rather arrogant claim, terribly exclusive. And, of course, it would be if it were not true. Is Jesus really the only way to God? Well, come with me on a journey to the highlands of Scotland. We're heading for a castle, and we're going to spend the weekend with your friend, who is the lad. And uh, you've been given rather sketchy details, directions as to how to get there. And as is often the way when you're right off the beaten track, you come to a fork in the road, and there's no signpost, and you don't know which way to go. However, there are various people you conveniently bump into at this fork. The first person is a man who's actually pitched his tent on the junction. And you ask the way. And he says, well, I don't actually think there is a castle, so I'm going to stay here. It's actually quite nice here. The second person you bump into just shrugs at you and says, do you know, I've absolutely no idea. Do what you want. Do what you feel is right. That's not very satisfactory either because you are actually wanting to go to the castle. The third person you meet says, well, I'm pretty sure that all roads, whichever route you take, will actually lead you to the castle. Or at least I hope they do. It would be rather tough if you took a wrong turn. And actually, it would be rather arrogant. Here I am at the junction, rather arrogant for me to say, that is not the way to the castle. And that is. Take your pick. I'm going this way. If you go that way, hopefully we'll meet at the castle. Well, that's not a very satisfactory solution either. There's absolutely no certainty there. And then there's the fourth person who is actually the laird himself. He has walked down the road to meet you. He's come down from the, 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 the right-hand fork. And there he is coming towards you. And he recognizes you as his guest. And he says, to be honest, you'll never get there on your own. You're clearly hopelessly lost. I know the way. Obviously, I'm the laird. This is the road that leads to my house. Follow me. I am the way. And Christians put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because they are convinced that he is Lord and God. He's not just an alternative philosophy saying, maybe this way, maybe that way. Or some kind of cult leader who says, yeah, follow me, everything else is wrong. He is the one who himself has come from heaven, who came and lived and died on the cross for us and opened the way to heaven. He is the one who says, 
I am the way. So, follow me. Do you see, look at verse 2 again. He says, I'm going there to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Jesus offers us purpose and direction in our bewildered and empty world. Second, when Jesus says, I'm the truth, he offers us certainty in our confused world. I read recently of a student who had these books on his bedside table. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's Nausea, Playboy magazine, The Communist Manifesto, The Bible, and a self-help book entitled How to Stop Worrying. Now, people will look anywhere and everywhere for the answers to life's big questions. And the Bible unashamedly claims to tell the truth about God. Again, not an alternative idea, but the truth. To tell us the truth about God, about ourselves, and about our relationship with God. And how, in spite of our rebellion against him, our independence, what the Bible calls sin, in spite of all that, God is still interested in us. We all matter to God. And the Bible speaks the truth about God. Jesus says, I am the truth. Now, sometimes these are most wonderful truths. Isn't it wonderful to know that we all matter to God? That we have a special place in his heart and that he was willing to come from heaven to die for us. And as we celebrate communion, those are wonderful truths to be reminded of God's love. But sometimes those truths will be uncomfortable. Let me give you an example. Back in 1982, my dad was looking tired and rather unwell. I was home for the weekend and I advised him to take a holiday, clearly what he needed. He also happened to go and see his doctor. And his doctor said, I'm sending you straight to the hospital. And the hospital said, we're not letting you go home. You need heart surgery. Now, two different people both gave my dad advice. Both meant well. Only one was properly informed. Fortunately, my dad didn't listen to me. And the next day, he had a quadruple heart bypass. And if he hadn't, he'd have probably been dead within a few weeks. He didn't listen to me with my exhortations to holiday in the sun. Instead, he listened to the one person who was qualified to speak, the one who had authority, the one who spoke the truth to him. He listened to the doctor. And the Bible is rather like the doctor's advice. And sometimes it's uncomfortable reading. But when Jesus speaks, God speaks. And when Jesus says, I am the truth, we do well to listen. And Dr. Jesus' diagnosis is indeed that we all need God's forgiveness. 
that we are all deeply loved by God, so much so that he came to die for us. Such a profound truth that 2,000 years on, we have a weekly reminder of how much he loves us as we share in bread and wine, symbols of his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Dr. Jesus' diagnosis goes on that if we turn to Jesus, if we follow Christ, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven. We can know with certainty that this place in our Father's house will be our home. So in our confused and distracted and pleasure-seeking world, the Bible speaks Jesus speaks with great clarity about the truth of our situation and the truth of God's love for us. He is the one who says, I am the truth, amidst all the competing truth claims that are out there. So, in our relativist, confused world, let's trust in Jesus, who is the truth. Third, when Jesus says, I am the life, he offers us hope and the promise of heaven amidst the almost universal fear of death. Now, for many people, heaven is a very nice idea in theory. They just don't really want to think about it just yet. A pastor was once visiting a woman in his congregation whose husband had died a couple of years previously. And he asked her, where do you think he is now? And she replied, I imagine that he's enjoying eternal bliss in the beauty of heaven. But you know what, Vicar? I'd much rather we didn't talk about such unpleasant subjects right now. Thank you very much. This is kind of a joke. <laughs> However, we can only live well when we know we can die well. If, whenever we're faced with our fears of death, we say, I'd rather not think about such an unpleasant subject, then we will remain crippled by our fears and we'll never actually face up to the wonderful joys of heaven, the promise of heaven, which Jesus gives to those who follow him. Look again at verse 2. In my Father's house, in my Father's home, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. There's a rather lovely quote from Jim Packer who says, we know very little about heaven. It is an unknown region, but with a well-known inhabitant. Someone's told the story of a dying man who asked his doctor to tell him about the place to which he was going. And the doctor rather struggled for a reply, even though he was a Christian. But as the doctor was trying to explain it, he heard a kind of scratching on the door and he knew that it was his dog that he'd left downstairs. Kind of old school GP. A, visits the person at home. B, takes his dog with him. 
Anyway, as he's trying to counsel this man who's dying, he says, do you hear that? Do you hear my dog scratching at the door? I left him downstairs, but he's grown impatient. And he's heard my voice. And he's come up to be with me. He's no idea what is inside this room. But he knows I'm here. And that's where he wants to be. And the doctor said to his patient, isn't that the same with you? You don't know what lies behind the door, but you do know that your master is there. It's so wonderfully liberating to know that death is not the end. To know that death, rather, is a glorious new beginning, going home to be with Jesus. It absolutely transforms death. Go to a Christian funeral, and of course it's sad. Of course we're heartbroken when someone dies. But being a Christian completely transforms the situation. A friend of mine's elderly grandfather died, aged 95. And just before he died, still very much all the marbles in place, he recorded a message to be replayed at his funeral. Can you imagine this? The surprise of the mourners sitting in church, coffin, center stage, and they hear over the sound system a very familiar voice which says, some of you have come here because you've heard that I'm dead. Well, you're wrong. I'm more alive now than I've ever been before. And that is the Christian hope. That is what Jesus is promising here, the promise of heaven. And that because Jesus died and rose again, so death is defeated and death holds no fear. Now, we all have to face bereavement. And we all have to face our own mortality. And it's not always easy. I'm not pretending it is. But it is transformed by knowing that there is a loving Heavenly Father who, say, who will one day say, welcome home. So, in our fearful world, let's put all our confidence in the one who says, I am the life. In the one who defeated death. In the one who promises eternal life when we die. And indeed, in the one who promises fullness of life now, before we die. Jesus said, I am the way. So let's follow him. He said, I'm the truth. So let's trust him. Let's take his word seriously. Jesus said, I am the life. Let's place our full confidence in him. So the question I want to ask you is not what do you want to do when you grow up, but are you following, trusting, placing your full confidence in the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? And if you have put your confidence in that Savior, then tonight is just a great opportunity to say thank you once again.
It's very easy to take these things for granted, isn't it? Sometimes the, the old truths become so familiar we become inured to them. But if you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to do so? Quite apart from anything, it completely transforms the way you live now. Quite apart from preparing you to go home to your Father in heaven. And if that's you, I'd love to chat with you after the service and help you know how you can make that promise your own. But for now, let's pray. Richard Baxter, one of the Puritans, wrote, My knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim, but it's enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. Lord Jesus Christ, we do pray that we would follow you and trust you and put our full confidence in you. Because you not only gave everything for us, but you've prepared a wonderful home for us. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.